Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 49 with John Stevenson. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. All right, let's get started. I am really happy to have John Stevenson on the line today. Now, I do want to mention before we get into this that John is using a pen name today for security reasons. He's not so much concerned about his security, but some of the people that are connected to him are in places that we might consider creative access countries, and we don't want to do anything that inhibits their ability to do what God has called them to do the way that God has called them to do it. We want them to be free to move around the the countries and the regions that they're in without any concern for what we're sharing here today, so we are using that pen name. Now, John did not grow up in a Christian household. In fact, many of his relatives are actually in prison. His father was an atheist and his mother was a drug user, but God snatched him from the pits of hell to save him. He served in the music industry, he started a homeless ministry, and he's worked for about 11 years in youth evangelism using extreme sports as the backdrop. Okay, John. Now, I've given just that little introduction. Why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit more about yourself and the ministry? We'd like to get to know you personally. Well, Brian, you kind of summed everything up. I was actually a musician for quite a number of years. I started when I was four, and I played until the time I was 24 and had a full scholarship for college. And I really thought God was calling me to be a music minister. And so I started college, and it wasn't so about the second semester, I realized God wasn't calling me to be a music minister. And so it kind of, at the time, it rocked my world. But I didn't find out until years later, I really wasn't a Christian at the time. What had happened is I started going to church when I was younger, and I fell into the trap of going to church thinking I was a Christian. And then all of a sudden, one day, I had this epiphany and realized that I was merely a Matthew chapter 7 person. One of those people that are doing things for God, saying things for God, but they had missed the boat in the relationship aspect Mm. with God. And so I was almost 30 years old before I actually surrendered to the call of salvation. And so by this time, I had been out of uh, playing music for about four years. Um, And then I started performing music again at my local church. And then about a year afterwards because I'd worked as a chef for a number of years, God called me to start a homeless ministry. And that was really exciting because 
I really took my talents as a chef and I would go into this homeless area and we actually prepared restaurant quality food for people. But it wasn't about the food, Brian. It was about the fact of being able to serve the folks and be able to provide a temporal need for them. So that way then they would be willing to hear the gospel. And then from there, as you said, I went into extreme sports. And the amazing thing about it is, is I started to preach and perform church services and travel around the country and through Canada preaching the gospel. Everybody always assumed that I came from a lineage of pastors. And so when I would share my testimony that my fondest memory of my dad was coming home from the bars at night drunk, swinging from the chandelier, or my mother actually going out and offering me drugs at eight years old so I didn't get any bad stuff off of the streets, so to say, back in the 80s when they used to like marijuana with PCP, they look at me kind of befuddled, and then I tell them how when I communicate with my family, it's via Coralinks because that's how they do it in prison. It's a prison email system, or my uncles and aunts have never seen my children because they're in prison. So it really makes it real for me. Uh, so while for years I actually was upset with God that I had to endure that, now I'm actually thankful because it gives me a relatability factor that a lot of people don't necessarily have. So I'm able to reach into communities that a lot of churches and Christian organizations aren't able to reach into because when they look at me and say, well, you don't understand, I said, well, yeah, absolutely, I do. I know what it's like to go to bed at night without food because my mother spent all the money on drugs. I know what it's like not to have clothes because, you know, money was being spent on drugs. I know what it's like to come home in the afternoon and all the stuff being loaded into a U-Haul and us move and never even get to tell any of my friends goodbye because my mother decided to move. Or I know what it's like, you know, going to church in the morning and having your dad making fun of you and taunting you because he's an atheist and doesn't believe in God or the Bible or Jesus. That's kind of the summation of where God had brought me from to the point of traveling around the country, uh, speaking as many as 70 times in a year, speaking in multiple countries, and just being able to share the love of God with other people and watching people go from being an atheist to then an agnostic to then accepting Christ. I mean, so it was just really a great aspect of the fact that God allowed me to partake in it and to be a small part of that was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, now, I, I do thank you for sharing that. As we get started with this with this time together, we've heard a little bit about you. We kind of know you a little bit, but can you share with us maybe a key scripture or a motivational quote that's really been meaningful to you throughout the years? And then share with us how that's really shaped your behavior. Absolutely. I have two, actually. It's Galatians okay. 6, 9, and 6, 10. And Galatians 6, 9 is, grow um, not wearing, doing good for the proper time you reap a harvest if you don't give up. And then verse 10 actually rolls in, so therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work that which is good towards all men, and especially towards them that are the household of the faith. And as I look at verse 9, it really exemplifies the fact that, you know, when you look at some of the apostles and the disciples' lives in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, they really had tenacity. They, they never gave up. They continued to serve God. They wanted to serve God, and no matter what they were going through, they never gave up because they were focusing on the fact they were going to reap the harvest. And I'm not talking about a financial harvest like a lot of folks say sometimes, but, you know, the harvest was going to be souls. The harvest was going to be God's kingdom, you know, what he wanted to reap, basically. So if we don't give up, you know, we're going to reap that harvest. And that, I tell people, you know, there was an atheist gentleman that I ministered to every week for seven years. 
And lo and behold, one day I looked up, and here he is at one of the church services that I was performing. And I kind of made the joke. I said, well, see, the sky didn't fall in anyway. And we kind of joked about it, but it was because I never gave up, never gave up, that he ended up starting to seek after Christ. And then when we look at verse 10, when it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, you know, let us do good to all men, basically, especially those of the household of faith. Well, that comes into pure ministry because ministry is to serve. So now all of a sudden, you know, we haven't given up. We're reaping the harvest. And so we're able to do good to all men. You know, one of the things that I've always held on to is the fact that we can accept all people. Now, it doesn't mean that we approve of all people because sin is sin. doesn't matter how you break it down. But it doesn't mean that we can't love that person. And so I've always told people we have to learn to love the hell out of people and trying to beat the hell out of people with the Bible. So therefore, we can love them and we can accept them, but we don't have to approve of them. And so therefore, we can be friends with people or friendly with people, even though we don't agree with their lifestyle, and we can still tell them. But when we tell them in love and they see the acceptance there, they tend to listen to us a lot more. So that's kind of the two verses that really have encapsulated um, where God has drove me for the last almost 20 years now. Wow. Those are, those are powerful. As we get started and we start to learn a little bit, little bit more and unpack your story, John, one of the things that I like to start with is a challenge or a failure because I find that one of the things that we, they, that does is it helps us connect with people. As we look around, it can sometimes see like, seem like everybody else's life is unicorns and rainbows, that everything's happy and easy. That's what I like to call the Facebook effect. And then our own lives, what we are seeing is often the blooper reel. But I find that it, it helps us to connect with people if we can understand that some challenges are common to people. Could you share with us a challenge from your life, maybe something that you faced or something you were praying about, and then share with us what God did in that time? Uh, narrowing it down to just one issue that I have <laughs> is rather difficult. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, I mean, because, Brian, I mean, really, one of the things that I always tell people when I preach is, first of all, please don't take what I say as gospel. You know, it's not the gospel according to John, so to say. Um, you know, we want to read the Bible, you know, so therefore, whatever I say, please go back and double-check whatever I'm saying. And then second, remember, do not judge God by my actions. Do not judge God by my intentions. Don't judge God by me at all, because you're going to get a messed up view, because I mess a lot of things up. You know, I'm not perfect. I would have never made Jesus, because the first guy that hit me, with the cat of nine tails, I'd have vaporized them. All you saw was sandals <laughs> and steam. And I, I tell people that I'm very candid about it. And, you know, I've had several issues over the years, um, you know, and I mean, there's been times where I've even doubted. And that's one of the issues because people always looked at me and said, wow, you have such great faith and everything. And I remember my wife, um, we have a 13-year difference between our middle daughter and our youngest daughter, so we have grandkids, and we also have a toddler at home. So life is kind of a roaring riffraff for us right now. You would, we have our grandson and our daughter, and they're like, oh, those are your kids. I'm like, no, this is my grandson. And they're like, oh. But my wife, when she got pregnant, she was diagnosed with a very rare condition and was supposed to die. And she was given a 2% chance to live. Our daughter was only given a 1% chance to live. And I have a booked up schedule and I'm supposed to be out of town preaching for 12 consecutive weeks. 
And during that time, I mean, I really struggled with a lot of things. And I've always been a firm believer that we can question God. Now, I want to hear, I want the listeners to understand what I mean. And when you look at the book of Habakkuk, you know, he asked God questions. And I think it's perfectly feasible for us to go to God with a pure heart and say, God, you know, why is this happening? You know, we want to know why it's happening, not to question you, but we want to know why it's happening, you know, because we want our faith to be strengthened in you. We want to be able to depend on you more because we see what your word says, but then we also see this happening. So we're confused. And during that time, I was confused about a lot of things because here I am, I'm going out and, and people are coming to Christ. You know, I'm setting people up in discipleship programs. We had grown a discipleship program to span eight different states where we had leaders. Now, all of a sudden, I'm told that my wife is going to die and my daughter's going to die. And that was a very emotional time for me. And I remember I looked at her and I said, do I need to stay home? And she looked at me and she said, John, God called you to preach the gospel like you always tell everybody. And you and I, she said, I've heard you tell people from the pulpit, God doesn't call me to preach when it's easy or when it's convenient. He's called me to preach, and he does the same thing for you, so he'll provide a way. So she goes, you know he'll provide a way. And so I went out and I preached, and there was times where I have to be honest that it was very difficult knowing that here I am, I'm leaving my wife at home on bed rest. Mm-hmm. And I may not come back to her. But yet, during that time, God really grew my faith because as I was able to go out and do these church services, it was amazing because people started you know, coming to Christ just because of me showing up to do the church service, still because people who followed the ministry, they knew what was going on. And lo and behold, uh, two weeks, three weeks before the baby was born, my wife was healed of the condition. Mm. And it was funny because I got to minister to the doctor through that. And he goes, you never doubted, did you? And I looked at him, I laughed. I was like, are you crazy? I mean, again, I'm not God. I mean, of course I doubted. Of course there was times where I had to, you had to bring my faith back to God and say, look, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I, I was doubting you. And that was a true testimony for the doctor to see that because he looked at me and he says, well, because you're in the ministry, I just assumed you never would have ever doubted. And I was like, well, trust me, I doubt, and I have to go to God and ask for forgiveness, but God strengthened my faith during that time. And it also, I understood his love more because here I am doubting him, and he never, he never walked away from me, never gave up on me or anything else. He was still there for me, even though I doubted him. Wow, that's, that's powerful. You know, one of the things, I'm just so glad that you said the, the, the comment about we can question God, you know. Um, that's something that I've kind of held near and dear to my heart as well, just resting in God's sovereignty and, and recognizing that as I read the Psalms, that the psalmist, David, or whoever wrote the particular Psalm, they're not afraid to call things the way they see them and to take them to God. And I try to rest in that too, and I go, well, if God, if I go too far, God is able, and his kindness will bring me to repentance. So I, I trust in that as well. I that that was that was very powerful. I do appreciate that. With that, we are going to move to the other end of the spectrum because just like we have challenges, there are also those times when we have a moment of revelation, whether it's what we would think of as a shaft of light where God just kind of points something out to us in the moment or something that's being revealed over time and we begin to recognize it. Can you share with us one of those experiences in your life? 
probably blind, the one that comes to mind more than anything is that I mentioned earlier uh, when I was at a Promise Keepers convention. I don't remember who the pastor was on stage. I don't really remember what he was preaching, but I just remember all of a sudden I realized I had missed the boat. That I thought I was a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian. And that is probably what set me on fire more than anything, because number one, I'm not a crier. And when you do extreme sports, you get surgeries, you get concussions, you get stitches. You know, there's a lot of things that you just become used to. And it may be, oh, hey, honey, I'm going to the emergency room. I got a broken bone. I'll be home a little bit late for dinner kind of deal. It's something very nonchalant to you. So I'm not much of a crier, let's just put it that way. Well, all of a sudden, I remember two of my buddies looked over because I'm on my hands and knees, heaving, crying, and snot is coming out of every orifice of my body. I'm crying so hard because of the epiphany that I had that all of a sudden, the sin that I had before a pure and holy God. And so the one thing that I really have been on fire about uh, for, you know, over a decade now is helping people to realize whether they're really saved or not. Because how many times do we see people, they'll go up front and they'll say a cute little prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and now understand, I'm not trying to be dogmatic, but how many times do we, do we spoon feed people information but they never really get it. And then we look at their lives, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm saved. But they're going out clubbing every Saturday night. They're still cheating on their taxes. You know, they'll lie here and there, and everything's acceptable because they really haven't had that life-changing moment where God has actually saved them and snatched them out of the pits of hell. And unfortunately, that's why Matthew chapter 7 people are going to abound. And I, again, I'm not trying to be dogmatic to listeners out there or say that, you know, that you can't pray a prayer for salvation, but we have to be careful nowadays because when we study the scripture, we'll realize a lot of people will have a false sense of security and they'll go before God and he'll be like, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I knew you not. And they're going to be arguing and bantering with God. It's like, but God, look at all of these things I did. So here I am. I'm on the floor heaving and crying because I realized all of these things that I had been doing, you know, serving in music ministry at the time, helping with my Sunday school class and everything, never messing a church service, ever, never, ever missing a church service, you know, fixing some of the best food at the potlucks and everything. Well, I was destined for hell because I had missed the relationship part of it. I had missed the fact of actually calling on his name you know, and actually becoming a Christian. Actually, as it says in Mark one fifteen, when Jesus started his ministry, he said, repent and believe. And repentance and belief goes hand in hand because metanoia from the Greek literally means to have a change of mind due to a compunctious spirit, which then results in different action. And it all comes back to the Holy Spirit regenerating us. Therefore, we can think different and believe, therefore have different actions, which means we can simplify the fruits of the Spirit and live as Christ commanded us to live. So with all of that said, the epiphany that I had is, you know, we've got to be more serious about making sure people are Christians and not just pew warmers so we can cut down on the Matthew chapter 7 people. Oh, that's good. Uh, if you don't mind, as you were sharing that, you know, you, you touched on the Matthew chapter 7 and the Mark 1. Um, mm-hmm. If you wouldn't mind, could you take just maybe another minute or so and share with us 
when you're talking to people and they're and you're helping them kind of explore their relationship with God and whether they're a Christian, what are the things that you talk about and the things that that they would be looking at in their life? One of the things that I do is quite opposite of what a lot of times people do as church members. I remember my wife and I was joining the church, and the lady looked at me. She goes, "Are you a Christian?" And I was like, yes, ma'am. She goes, you accept Jesus in your heart? And finally, I looked at her, it's like, you realize you're asking all the wrong questions. And she looked at me kind of funny. I said, if we just ask people if they're a Christian, of course they're going to say yes, because a lot of people identify themselves as Christians because they were born in America. My father, who was an atheist, would claim he was a Protestant. I remember I looked at him like, Dad, you're no more of a Protestant than the Pope is. He goes, well, yeah, because I was born in America. And I was like, no, you're no more of a Protestant than the Pope of the Catholic Church is a Protestant. And so I actually asked people point blank. I'd be like, so Brian, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Because I use the Bill Fay book, Sharing Jesus Without Fear. And so we kind of talk about it. And you may tell me you're Christian. I'm going to ask you, what makes you a Christian? Now, unfortunately, a lot of people tend to get a little offended by that because they just want to assume that they are a Christian. But I want them to explain to me why they're a Christian, because if they can't explain to me why they're a Christian, chances are they're not a Christian. Because mm-hmm. one of the alarming facts that I found when I was going to seminary is, on average, 72 to 75% of youth walk away from their faith at age 19. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because they thought they were a Christian, but they really couldn't articulate why they were a Christian. They didn't really understand you know, why they believed in what they believed in. They, they were told all their lives to believe in God, but they never were really told why, and they didn't know why. And so I really try to get people to explain to me why they are a Christian. And I'm not talking about the candid answers of, well, I went down front and said a prayer once. Because I'll tell them straight up, I went down and said that same prayer probably 24 times and never became a Christian. And so I really kind of dwelled into, okay, you know, how have you repented and believed from your lifestyle? I mean, how are you a changed person? You know, if they say, oh, yeah, they give me the cliche answer, well, I did this, this, and this. Well, tell me how you've changed. Because if you can't give specific instances, you probably really have to change. That's kind of how I go about asking a person if they're a Christian, is I let them tell me if they are or not. Mm -hmm. And if they say they are, then I have them tell me how they've actually repented and believed, how they've changed how they've been different. I don't ask them yes or no questions or give them any answers. I make, I make them give me the answers. That's good. With that, I would like to go ahead and move to the present day. We've heard a little bit about some things that have happened in your life, but now I'd like to hear maybe something that's going on in the ministry that's really exciting you or maybe see something that you see coming in the future. Well, a couple of things that's really exciting is, you know, as I said, my wife and I, we've traveled a great deal uh, we travel about 48 weekends out of the year. Um, we travel about two weeks during the summer, do extreme sports camps and speak at different camps and youth conferences and parents' conferences and stuff. But one of the things that the Lord started really laying on my heart was, you know, start doing more local ministry. And that's the one really exciting thing is because we started doing a lot of work um, with youth and parents locally in our own neighborhood. So now we're able to connect with these people several times a week, if not daily, a lot of times. We've started some programs in some local schools, and the great thing about that is we're able to walk in and work with some of these people and help them to look at things differently. 
You know, we can't necessarily go in and overtly preach the gospel, but we can still preach the gospel. You just have to go about it a little bit different way is all. You know, once they ask the question, you can give them all the answers. And so one of the exciting things is going in and working with these, you know, parent organizations and working with these youth and speaking in the high schools and everything because you get to be that positive light. And I never realized what a true impact that would have because now all of a sudden we're starting a home Bible study and we're looking at starting a network of home Bible studies locally, and it's going to be kind of geared more towards the people who don't typically go to church and answering the questions that a lot of young adults have. You know, we want to answer the tough questions like, is God real? You know, can I really trust the Bible? I mean, did Noah's Ark really happen, or is that just a fable? You know, what about sex? You know, what types of sex can we have and can't we have before we're married? Because I get those crazy questions like that. You know, what about money? You know, I mean, is it is, is tithing really the New Testament thing? Because you hear that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, tithing is never the New Testament. So we want to tackle all these subjects that a lot of, you know, the young adults nowadays have, but sometimes they're almost shunned if they actually ask them in church. So we're working through our church to start this series of Bible studies to where the people can come in, we'll have dinner. You know, they can feel comfortable, they can take their shoes off if they want, as long as their feet don't stink is what I tell them. Mm-hmm. You know, make yourself at home, and we're going to tackle the tough questions biblically. So it's kind of cool because the people that we've got to talk to in the schools and everything like that, that we've got to work with, and, you know, they may be facing some obstacles, and we just kind of sit there and help them look at it a little bit different. Well, now all of a sudden, it's those same people that we've worked with them and we've worked with their parents now they're starting to ask us the question. So now we're able to get into a more grounded Bible study that's looking at the biblical perspective, you know, the biblical perspective of dating for teenagers. You know, now my personal opinion is I don't think teenagers should date. A lot of parents allow their kids to date. So we've just got to tap it. Okay, how do you handle biblical dating if the kids allow to date? So we really get to tackle a lot of tough situations. You know, okay, we acknowledge this is what the world is telling you. But here's what the Bible tells you. This is why you can trust it. That's one of the really exciting things that we're getting to do now is is going in and just working in communities and working with a lot of people that, you know, a lot of times the church is kind of bypassed. Okay. And you mentioned there were, I think you mentioned there were two. Is there another one that's going on right now? Oh, oh, two. Um, well, we started it as community um, outreaches, and then what we've done is the second thing, we kind of funneled it into the Bible studies. I guess I didn't make that clear. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I get so excited about it that, you know, I forgot, you know, we were starting to work in the schools and do community outreach there, uh, and then now we've started funneling it into a Bible study, and then we want to start other Bible studies with other members in the church doing the same thing with, like, the same group of people, because obviously I can't, you know, minister to every person in the world. So right. we're just trying to search. So that's kind of the second thing, but I do apologize for that. No, 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 no apologies. Uh, with, with that, I, I would like to shift our focus a little bit though, because we know that not everybody is called to vocational ministry. And quite honestly, most of our audience is made up of people who live in the U S or in North America and they operate in the marketplace. They, they care deeply about missions, but they don't necessarily feel a call to missions. So what would you tell someone who's in that situation? And they're starting to wonder if what they're doing in business really matters in the kingdom. My question to them is always this. I look at them, I say, have you ever seen a sign at a church when you're driving down the road where you just want to slam on your brakes and run in and say, oh, my goodness, I've got to get saved? And everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. And I said, well, 
Have you ever met anybody that they're driving down the road and all of a sudden they just pull into the church, they run in, they look at the pastor and go, Pastor, Pastor, i got to get saved. And they're like, no, I've never met anybody. I'm like, you're not going to meet anybody. I said, the way that people are introduced to the gospel is through our everyday lives. When you walk out the front door in the morning, you better lay hands on that door and you better pray, God, give me the eyes to see and the ears to hear the people that you want me to witness to because I'm going on to a mission field. Because statistically speaking, I know the area I live in, only 17% of the population attends church on a regular basis, meaning once every three weeks, where 83% does not. That means basically eight out of 10 people that I come across are not going to church, which means they're probably not Christian. Mm-hmm. So therefore, everybody, when you walk out the door in the morning, you're on the mission field. So therefore, you can you, you need to live a good godly life in the eyes of your coworkers, because chances are eight out of ten of them are probably not Christian. The people that you come in contact with during the day, probably eight out of ten of them are not Christians. So you really have as much opportunity as a missionary in the ten forty window. But we're not trained to really think that way because in the Western culture, we're trained, oh, get them to church and let them hear a sermon, and then they'll get saved. But that's really not how it happens when we look at it. Statistically speaking, most people come to Christ because of the one-on-one encounter with the Christian who shares the gospel with them. Just like it says in Romans 10, when it starts out, it says, you know, how is somebody supposed to, you know, paraphrasing, how is somebody going to become a Christian if they don't hear the gospel? How do they hear the gospel if somebody doesn't tell them? Right. And I'm paraphrasing verses, you know, chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, but when we look at that principle there, our next-door neighbor is not going to become a Christian if we don't go share the gospel with them. And inviting somebody to church is not sharing the gospel with them. Sharing the gospel with them is sharing the gospel with them. That's what I tell people. And so when we walk out that door, we have to realize most of the people we're going to come in contact with probably aren't Christians, so therefore we're on the mission field now, and we're more equipped because who's going to see more people during the day to witness to? You or your pastor? You or your worship pastor? You or your youth pastor? That's one of the reasons why I turned down a youth pastor position, because, well, we want you in the office 8 to 5 every day. Well, why would I be here in my office 8 to 5 when I should be in the schools 8 to 5? And they look at me kind of funny, but People aren't flooding the churches to get saved. People are building relationships, and that's how they get saved. It's it's funny that you mentioned the comment about seeing a, a church sign and wanting to rush in, <laughs> be, because that reminds me of prayers that I've prayed, maybe a little bit embarrassingly so at this point, and looking back at prayers that I heard, you know, where we would pray, you know, God, may your spirit be so heavy that people come in off the highways, and that's a good a good sentiment, but I think it mm-hmm. t- it ties right in, right? It, it's it's backwards because Christ sent us out, right? Um, yeah, and, he did. He didn't say, "Hey, set up in this big church building and wave people in motion of men." <laughs> yeah, that, that's still a personal struggle for me as I go off into the marketplace. It's sometimes hard for me as well to remember that I'm I'm entering a mission field. So that's something that God's continuing to do in my life as well. Now, I'm also sure that there are people listening who are already supporting a missionary financially and in prayer, but maybe they want to do more. You know, from your history, is, if they wanted to really level up their game, what's one thing that they could do to further encourage or support a missionary? The first thing and the most important thing is prayer. That's the most important thing. You know, you hear a lot of people like, I can't do anything else but pray. Well, no, that's the best and most important thing you could do. That's not a last resort. That should be the first resort. The last resort 
is you actually physically doing something. And so as I was reading over the questions I put, you know, number one, pray. Mm-hmm. Number two, continue to support financially because in the book of um, Third John, one of the things I did is I wrote a commentary on that in seminary, and the one verse that really stuck out to me in this commentary that I probably wrote more pages on that individual sentence than anything else was when Gaius was commended for supporting the missionaries because it was as if he was there with them. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is you may not be able to go on the mission field, but when you support that missionary, God uses it as if you are there with that missionary doing the work. You get the credit as well. And so a lot of times, you know, yes, continue to support them monetarily-wise because that's important. Pray for them first and foremost, but then I tell people this, volunteer and work with them somehow. I don't know, maybe they need help raising funds here in the States. You know, if they're a U.S. missionary, maybe they need help getting items from point A to point B or something. And I love this one. But Billy, I don't have a seminary degree. Billy, or John, I don't have this. Or Steve, I don't have a, you know, a bachelor's degree. You know, you hear all these people talking to all these different people, and and I overhear it a lot of times. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes I chime in and sometimes I don't. But when they look at me and they're like, John, I don't have this or that. I look at them point blank and I say, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And I remember the reason why I threw out all those different names because I was preaching a series of church services one time out of town. And some of the guys that were helping me, you know, some of the names that I've mentioned, they were there. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, after the service, I went up and I told him, I was like, I had this sermon, I called it, Just Do It. And I kind of stole the Nike slogan, so I'm hoping nobody from Nike, none of the executives hear this, so they don't find me a bunch of money. But I took their slogan for the weekend, and so I'm up there preaching, and, and some of the people, they didn't want to come to me because I was very adamant about it. If God's calling you to do something, just go and do it, period. Just do it. Don't question anymore. Just do it. Just have the faith. And, and it, was, it was a pretty intense sermon. And... I remember they lost them, so they started asking some of the other guys, because they were honestly worried, well, they didn't have biblical training. And I remember I told all my guys, I said, when they come and tell you that, just say, hey, did Moses, was he qualified? Was David qualified? Was Paul qualified? Because nowhere in the Bible really can I find anybody that was truly qualified to do what God called them to do when he called them to do it. So we got to realize, you know, sometimes we can help out in a lot of little ways, and it means a huge amount to the missionary. I remember one time I'm packing up, and this lady walked up. She goes, hey, John. She goes, i got a question. I was like, sure, go ahead. She goes, would you mind if I led the music at some point? Well, when you're trying to prepare a sermon and do other things and do the music too, it's a blessing and a godsend that somebody walks up and says, hey, I'm not a real good singer, but I can put together some music for you, and I'll have all your um, song sheets out for you to pass out there. I'll take care of that if you don't mind at your next church mm-hmm. service. I was excited. And what seemed to her very insignificant, and she felt very insignificant in that position, I had to let her know how incredibly important that was to me just because of the fact it was one thing that I could not have to worry about and then focus more on studying to articulate the work of people. So a lot of times we can find small little ways to volunteer, you know, if we're in that area, that geographical area, or sometimes what I tell people is just ask the missionary, what is your need? 
Mm-hmm. You know, what is your need? You know, what is something I can do to serve you? You know, because they don't get that a lot. I, I have a lot of friends who are missionaries. And they don't get that a lot. So I, I say, number one, pray. Two, continue to, to uh, you know, either help them fundraise or contribute. And third, work with them in some capacity. Thanks, John. That's good. With that, it is time for us to go ahead and transition to the speed round. This is where I get to ask you a series of questions and we get some amazing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Absolutely. What's one thing you wish you would have known before you started out? Fundraising. And looking back over the years, what's one thing you wish you would have done differently? I wish I would have connected better with people. Uh, What's the best advice you've ever received? God doesn't call to qualify. He qualifies to call. Can you share a personal habit that you strongly believe contributes to what God's done in your life? I believe a lot of times goal setting because God's given me vision and then I've been able to count the cost, so to say. I'd be able to put a plan with it where then I knew what it was going to take to actually do what God had called me to do. Even though I just strictly walked by faith, I still knew uh, some of the intricacies of what it was going to take so that way then I could actually show up and have a sermon planned or activities planned or whatever. Man, that is huge. <laughs> Following the Spirit and having a plan, that's amazing. Do you have mm-hmm. an Internet resource, something that you use and could share with our listeners? One that I really like because it's very simple for people to use is eSword. Uh, if they go to eSword.net, it's a free download. It has some commentaries because a lot of people, the one, the biggest uh, one of the top three struggles that I always hear from people is how do I really study my Bible and figure out what it's saying? And so I teach them how to use some of the tools and they get all the tools for free through eSport. Okay. And what's one book that you would recommend for our listeners? Well, my all-time favorite book is this thing called Bible. <laughs> That's what I always tell people. But it's a compilation of 60 books. But my favorite book in the Bible is the book of James. I tell people, if you read the book of James once a month, it's probably the most practical book you'll ever read for life and walking as a Christian. That's, that's great. That's actually my favorite book as well. Uh, I, I call it Cliff's Notes to the Bible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> hey, I, I haven't copyrighted it. You, you're welcome to have it. With that, we are almost done, and I do apologize. I, I lost track of the time, and we're actually we've run over just a tiny bit. Um, but before we go, could you share with us one last piece of advice and then the best way for people to get in touch with you? And then we'll say goodbye. Um, I'd probably say the best way to get in touch with me, with me would be to email me. Um, and I was going to say if they, if there's a way that maybe they could do that email through you possibly. Yeah, no uh, problem. And in any thanks. Um, if you wanted to pass along my Twitter, my Facebook, or my email, that would be amazing. Okay. Um, but one piece of advice that I tell people is, number one, don't ever let the Bible turn into a textbook. Don't ever let the Bible turn into a uh, to-do list check item. Always, you know, fight for your relationship with God, because He fought to have it with you. He loved you so much that He allowed His Son to die for you. And I always tell people, you know, we would travel around the country preaching, and I love the people that I was able that God allowed me to be able to share the gospel with. But if it came between them and one of my kids, I hope they got a big life insurance policy because they're the dead ones. But yet God loved us so much that he was willing to step back and allow his son to die for us, 
knowing that majority of people would turn their back on him and not even care and ignore the fact, but yet he still loved us that much. So I tell people, fight for that relationship, spend time daily in prayer, spend time daily in your word, and do it out of love, not out of obligation. Just love every minute of it, because in the Western culture, we're spoiled. In the Eastern culture, they have to fight to even get one page out of the Bible to be able to read it. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much. For those listening, I forgot to mention this. Uh, the show notes for today will be at engagingmissions.com slash John Stevenson. And to email me if you wanted to connect with him, that will be feedback at engagingmissions.com. And then I'll be glad to pass on that information to you. John, thanks so much for being with us. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Brian. I enjoyed it. Thanks. That marks the end of our time with John Stevenson. I really enjoyed getting to know him and hearing what God's been doing in his life and the amazing ways that God's been ministering to people through him. As I mentioned during the interview, if you want to check out any of the resources or any of the show notes, you can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash John Stevenson. And Stevenson is with a PH, so that will be S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N or slash 49 is in episode 49. I'd also like to mention that if you'd like to leave a comment, uh, that would be a great place to do it. But there are other ways that you can leave feedback. If you want to send me an email, you can send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And then also, it would really mean a lot if you haven't already, if you'd like to leave a comment or uh, basically a rating or a review in iTunes. Uh, you know, I love those five-star ratings and reviews, but an honest rating and review is really what I'm looking for. That feedback helps me know whether or not I'm meeting your needs, whether or not what I'm doing is connecting with you. Uh, if you've never done that before, it might seem a little bit challenging, but it's actually not. I have a short, about two and a half minute video at engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. That'll show you everything that you know. And then I've got a couple of links right there that'll take you right to the show. So if you want to subscribe, you can. And then if you want to leave that rating and review, you can do that as well. Well, which also reminds me, you know, if you haven't subscribed to the show and you're worried that you might miss an episode, it might make sense to go ahead and subscribe in iTunes. There are other places you can subscribe as well, Stitcher and some of the other podcast um, libraries, but iTunes is definitely the biggest one. And especially if you're an Apple user, that's probably the place where you're going to be subscribing anyway. Uh, again, that'll be at, at engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Um, and then just one last thing, you know, whether this is your first time here and you just stopped by because you're connected to John and you wanted to hear the story of what God's been doing in his life, or whether you've been subscribed for some time, it's, it means a lot to know that you're here. I really do hope that you're encouraged and challenged that, that something has inspired you and that you have seen the beauty of God in the land of the living as we've been talking. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.